Welcome to Next in Nonprofits. I'm Steve Boland, and I am very excited to be joined today by Melissa Johnson, a payment specialist with Merchant Maverick. Melissa, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. I asked you to come on and talk a little bit about um, mobile payments and what's changing, because I just love the stuff that I've been reading that you've been putting together at Merchant Maverick. But for those people that haven't uh, heard of your site or what you do yet, can you explain a little bit about what is Merchant Maverick? Um, Merchant Maverick is, it's a website. Obviously, we do a lot of software reviews for businesses. Um, payments especially is a big part of what we do, but we cover some of the other software topics. Um, with payment processing, I mean, it's such a large field and there's there's a lot that, you know, even nonprofits or any sort of business needs to know about credit card processing and we help them find the resources to know what's going on in the field and to find good payment processors and to make sure that they're getting the best deal. And the world is changing so quickly and so dramatically in so many different ways this way that it's just a great moment to um, understand that right now today, many charities that I work with are still seeing the bulk of their individual donations coming in from individuals in year-end giving or checks or um, event-based uh, registrations, those, those kinds of things. But much of that is changing very fast towards recurring donations, which need to happen electronically. Um, some actual on-site stuff but um, I, I was digging around to learn more because the organization I'm working with was um, doing a, a, a large outreach event and they were going to be out away from their offices and they wanted to know about their mobile payment options and asked about app-based payments. And I'm like, wow, is anybody in the charities world really digging into that yet? And I'm not sure that we are yet. But before we get into like app-based, I think you, you touched on it just a second in your introduction about um, many of these charities know that there is some kind of web-based um, payment system that they have already got set up that they're accepting payments from. Uh, almost always that's some kind of credit card, although there's some ACH transaction in there too. Um, what, what is the world looking like for just um, the competitive landscape for credit card transactions online? I mean, it's 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 a huge field. It really is. Um, and you've got so many, because there's so many aspects of payment processing because you have to have the website, you need to have, you know, if you sell merchandise, you need a shopping cart, you need the payment gateway, you need the payment processor. I mean, it, it's a lot of moving parts for online payments. And sometimes some companies do really well at combining everything so that you get everything you need in a single solution. And other times you might need to build something a little bit piecemeal. I think that's a good question about um, where charities come in, that what they're really looking for too is a database integration to capture more information about their donors. Why are they giving? What was it that brought them to the table? Is it a specific email campaign? Was it a organic search that brought them in? Um, is it paying for an event ahead of time? So that database integration piece is really important. And I think an awful lot of these transactions are coming in from whoever their donor database company is partnering with to do that payment solution. So um, certainly you'll see things, um, Blackboard and, and other large players like that, uh, Network Solution, or uh, uh, Network for Good rather, um, those folks kind of have their own integrated partners. Even the really small players, Little Greenlight for example, has you know three partners that they integrate with natively. But you're just saying that sometimes it's okay to go, well, I'd have my, my preferred donor database over here, and I would rather not pay as much on the payment processing end as maybe their partners, 
I might piecemeal it together. I might actually look at, at integrating. Um, how do people make decisions about whether they should just stick with Square and use everything Square gives them or pick a different processor and a different database and try to merge those things? Well, Square is an interesting one because its platform really is, it's everything. It really is a small business ecosystem or even a nonprofit ecosystem because it has the integrated customer database. It's got the POS, it's got the online payments. Like, it really Sorry, does I'm going to back up just a second. POS, because uh, there's some folks here that are probably not as familiar with the industry terms. So oh, in that POS? case, it is is point of sale right. so you're talking about the actual software like a register mm -hmm. that you use to take in-person payments thanks okay i'm sorry so you were saying about um square has that kind of one-stop stuff built in for point of sale and database and um, web-based yes but it's it's certainly possible to take other solutions and build something yourself if you've got you know, if you've got the resources, if you do have someone on your staff who has the technology, who has the technical expertise, the technology expertise to build something like Stripe, for example, integrates with over 300 different software solutions, including recurring billing and CRM tools, um, CRM customer relationship management. So email marketing and, you know, that, that sort of database aspect. And part of the decision making, I think, about those platforms is uh, not just can it capture the data that in a way that I can use it and begin a conversation with a donor about where we might be um, somebody they want to have a longer term uh, connection with and not just a very quick, I, I made a fast donation to you for the day. Um, uh, learning about those people, um, maybe it's worth the transaction cost to have a slightly higher, you know, 2.9% and 30 cents of the transaction kind of thing versus running over to a 2.2% solution. But most of these things that are running through a credit card processor, debit card processor, you're going to be paying in that range, right? That 2.2 that to 2.9, there's not a lot that goes outside of that. For online payments, um, that is true. There is another pricing model that's generally more suited to higher volume businesses. So if you're processing $10,000 a month or more in credit cards, there's what we call a traditional merchant account. And a traditional merchant account um, will often offer uh, interchange plus pricing where you'll pay the fees that are mandated by the card networks, which are the interchange fees, and then a small markup. Um, usually could be anything from 15 cents per transaction to you know, 0.3% plus like 10 cents. It really depends on the actual company. But in some cases, especially for higher volume businesses, that is a way to get you know, slightly lower processing costs. But again, it, it really comes down to you, you have to have the volume. The more volume you have, the more you can save. Well, and that's volume in terms of total dollars, not necessarily individual transactions, because I think a lot of this decision comes down to that, um, you know, that as little as, you know, 10 cents or five cents or whatever, but it's usually in the 30 cents of the transaction thing that if you're doing five bucks at a time and paying 30 cents every time, mm -hmm. uh, that's different from taking a $1,000 uh, donation and paying some you know per transaction cost, but then that percentage can be you know a bit more of a bite if it's a thousand or five thousand or whatever. That that's true. Definitely, the the flat fee tends to 
be most cost prohibitive for small ticket values. So if your average donation is somewhere between 10 and $30, that, that small fee is going to hurt a lot more than if you've got people who are donating to 100, 200 or more in a single go. And I think that's one of the interesting questions that you ask. Um, I should point out that the reason that I, I found you to ask you to come talk about this was you've just got some fantastic blog resources at merchantmaverick.com that really help people um, answer that question. At what point is it worth it to do something outside the traditional realm? And I think that this is a really important question for charities in particular to say right now, probably more of our donation volume is coming in in paper checks when it's the large dollar amount thing. That if somebody's gonna give 500 or $1,000 or more, that they're gonna feel more comfortable doing that, something other than an online transaction. And I think a lot of charities will try to gate those donors to say, you know, if it's a, a small dollar amount and you really want to just uh, get to know us, then great, you know, come come to our online site. But if it's going to be a more meaningful contribution, let's talk about how you make that so that the fees are as minimized as they can be. Um, but I think that that how much of the volume is going to come in from this last year versus this year or next year or whatever, as more and more and more transactions become electronic this way, I'm not sure that we won't be seeing more people making those larger dollar amounts through electronic means rather than uh, people that, that maybe would write a check. I mean, as you look at sort of your small business specialization, do you see larger dollar amounts happening electronically more often than used to be? Um, I'm not really sure that I can say definitively. I know that, you know, I mean, it really, it always depends on the merchant. Um, some businesses are just naturally more prone to taking, you know, larger transactions and people are willing to spend that money online if the site looks reputable if the payment process is frictionless and if it's well branded and it's easy and it looks trustworthy, you're going to get the people who are willing to send the money that way. But it also to some extent depends on the audience themselves. I mean, if your donors are primarily, you know, in their 50s and 60s and they're not particularly tech savvy, they may not be willing to 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 go outside of what their comfort zone is. They may stick to cash and checks, but if you've got a younger audience, it's it's very important that you be aware that, you know, they may be willing to, they're more comfortable with technology. And so they're more willing to spend money online and they're more willing to use these different payment methods that, you know, uh, older people may not always be comfortable with because it's it's unfamiliar to them. Yeah. So, and I think that's a good observation that this is just the way we're going to be going over time. As more and more of us come up with the expectation that I should be able to give the easiest way that I like to give you, you mentioned the word friction. And I think that that's something that applies across any kind of transaction, for-profit, non-profit, that the easier it is for the person that wants to engage with you to finish that transaction, the more likely it is that they will actually do so. And I, one of the things that's challenging, I think, is when we're not at a a computer where we don't have people that are just kind of filling out the same sort of donor form that they always fill out at a computer, but they're at an event um, and they are ready to bid on a silent auction item or they're uh, um, have volunteers that are doing um, grocery bagging for tips at a, a thing for because it's a charity outreach thing. And if you're literally holding bags of groceries walking by and somebody is, is excited about your mission, you know, how much time and energy are they going to want to take to fill out forms on a phone or whatever it might be. So 
Let's start with that, that idea of mobile payments away from a, a desktop computer. Um, I think a lot of charities are used to the idea of some kind of a, a Square or PayPal reader where you just swipe a credit card. Um, and now, of course, we're hearing a lot more about the chip readers uh, um, instead of just a swipe. Um, as you talk about relatively low volume mobile processing, as opposed to stuff that might come in over the web, um, are there recommended paths of, you know, you need to be able to step up into less and less friction, less and less transaction, and therefore, here's how you can begin if you're on the go in a space that isn't your office? Well, I mean, for on-the-go solutions, obviously, Square and PayPal are the best-known solutions, but they're not the only ones. And again, if you're willing to spend the time to find a merchant account or a payment processor that offers, you know, the the mobile payments abilities as well as online payments tools, you can get a really convenient all-in-one solution. But as you mentioned, chip cards, uh, you know, we're starting to see the advent of chip cards finally, and we're also seeing, you know, the tap to pay sort of transactions. Um, and those are also sort of, I don't want to say they're complicating matters, but they have changed the, the, the landscape. And now we've seen fewer, fewer companies offering just a free swipe reader. And now they're saying, hey, when you sign up with us, you need a chip card reader and it's $30. I, I wanted to ask you about that because that was my experience at the beginning of this whole thing too, that you sign up for a Square account, they, they send you a reader and they ask you if you don't want another couple because they're just trying to get volume happening. But it seems like that um, that easy, here's the quick swipe, it wasn't very much anyway, um, is being kind of uh, denigrated in favor of things like, well, you should really have the Bluetooth chip enabled you know, reader for whatever so that it's not tethered to your phone or power that might go. Um, so you're seeing that happening kind of across the board in mobile payment processing, that, that the companies that do that are really trying to move the market a little bit towards more security through the chip reader, you know, paying a little bit of something in infrastructure in order to have this transaction work better. Yes. I mean, obviously, I mean, the chip card transaction, it's a little more complex. So the hardware costs a little more to make, which is why you're seeing, you know, the chip card reader costs anywhere between 25 and 50 or more, depending on, you know, the maker and the seller and all of that. And that's, it, it's one of those things where adapting the chip card, because it, it it's not a legal requirement. It, you are not right. legally obligated to accept chip cards. However, if you accept a card, a, a, a swiped card that could have, that is fraudulent and could have been prevented using a chip card, you are on the hook for that transaction. You are going to pay back the costs of the fraudulent transaction plus whatever your processor is going hit to hit you with as far as chargeback fees and such. And so it's one of those cases where buying a chip card reader is often less expensive than the cost of a single fraudulent transaction. Well, that's important to recognize, and I hadn't understood that until you just said that. So thanks for um, kind of enlightening that um, that in and of itself may be enough to just get over that. The nonprofits I work with, you know, anytime somebody says $20 here or $30 there, they just kind of wince. Um, and I think in part because the amount of transactions we've done so far this way have been relatively small. You know, it's event-based. It's at a time when you're in a space somewhere. Uh, and I think that that's a different um, mode of how most of this is coming in. But again, I think that's going to change and we should maybe think about when's the right time to make those investments now. So let's let's kind of scale up from the mobile reader 
you know, kind of going from the swipe uh, to the chip reader to maybe like a point of sale uh, terminal where it, it might be a dedicated piece of hardware that just does this, that just has people be able to pay for their tickets to the event and, and register a card for a silent auction item or something like that. Um, those actually aren't all that expensive, relatively speaking, but you need to be doing some volume to make it up, right? Um, terminals are generally the provenance of merchant accounts, again. And a merchant account is a, a more stable option than PayPal or Square, which use what we call third-party processing, um, in, in that they are basically one large merchant account, and everyone that they onboard is a sub-user of that account. A merchant account, they do extensive underwriting beforehand to vet your business, to analyze the risk, and understand you know, what this business is, what they do, and then they approve you, and you get your own dedicated account that, you know, is analyzed in the context of its own account and not in the broader context of everyone's using this account and not everyone's going to be qualified. Um, and so merchant accounts generally do offer terminals and terminals are a good option, um, but they're not inherently better than a mobile reader because it, it does the same thing and they can be affordable, but you can still get away with, I mean, with a terminal, you can just process it, like punch in the amount, swipe the card, or dip the card, or tap the card, and go. Um, you can also hook it up to a full-fledged point-of-sale system, which is more, it's more the realm of retail. Um, yeah. With Square and PayPal, you just you just need a smartphone and a little attachment reader, or you know, most of them are, are pretty handheld-sized readers for the most part. And so there's definitely an advantage to using that Terminals aren't a bad solution, but they can be pricey. They they can they're usually going to be a couple hundred dollars at minimum, um, as opposed to you know even Square's contactless and chip reader, which is Bluetooth enabled, is fifty dollars, and you can actually finance that. <laughs> yeah. I think you just spoke to the nonprofit audience. I don't have to pay it all up front. Oh, okay. Yeah, Square um, actually does have a lot um, of really cool financing options. It's not available in. All 50 states yet, but a hardware purchase of at least $49 qualifies for financing, and you can choose your payment terms, and you can actually purchase not just the card readers, you can actually purchase iPad, you can purchase tablet stands, cash stores, all of that through Square. Um, so that, that gets to your point, though, about the total cost of ownership for this whole thing, that it's not just the $200 to, to have some kind of um, scaled up um, point of sale looking kind of device, but rather how much time and energy are you willing to put into getting your own merchant account set up and running? Because that's going to be a fair amount of staff time on your end to fill out applications and, and make sure that everything connects correctly, I would assume. Is that is that where more of the cost is going to come in or no? It, it, it is a, it's a little bit more of a time commitment because you do need to make sure that you're dealing with a reputable company that you do need to put in the application. And a lot of companies have simplified that process now. So it is a lot shorter than it used to be. And some can get you approved in a matter of days, um, even, even a little bit shorter than that. Um, but it, it's just a matter of finding the right pricing model that works for you and making sure that, you know, the what the services that they offer and the pricing everything is right and it's it, it really comes down to the value it, and it's it's the same thing it's it's the value does it save me time does this save me energy does this have features that will make 
everything so much easier than what we're doing now. And that could be something like a QuickBooks integration. That could be, you know, the ability to have multiple staff uh, accounts so that if you have multiple people taking donations in the field, you know which donation came in through which person. Um, and you're and, not sharing and, a login with every volunteer that comes along, so that's yeah, good. <laughs> exactly, and it's those features are, it, they're not universal, and it really comes down to finding a provider that has all of the features that you need and that you want that will save you time and give you the accountability and the visibility and the reporting features that make it easier for you to run the nonprofit. I mean, no one wants to be wading through sales reports and then manually importing them into QuickBooks like, right. or whatever other accounting software they use. No, no one wants to do that. Yeah, I mean, uh, in this case, probably more specifically into some kind of donor management software rather than uh, not, not because that's the area where charities are going to go. I need to know exactly who did what transaction, when and why, so that I can build more of a relationship with that person if I see them come back in a different format, a different place, knowing that it's the same person, having something to be able to recognize uh, that that. You know, we maybe met you because we did the, the grocery bagging event, but then later on you came to the website and you made a small additional donation because you were so inspired or whatever that might be. <laughs> we need to know when those things happen. So part of it is the opportunity cost. And, and I think here's where um, investing in some additional technology, even for those rarer occasions when you're out in the field doing mobile processing is worth the doing because the, the, the downside of it isn't that they're going to somehow go home later and make a donation at their desktop when it's more easy and, and they're more comfortable with it, but probably you've lost them. If they didn't make that contribution in the mobile space where you had them, you don't get to talk to them anymore. They're, they've had a good intention. They thought about what you're doing. They're like, yeah, I, I want to help, but if it's like four steps to do it, I, I just can't do it right now. You know, I'll, I'll think about it when I get home. And then of course, by the time they get home, it's just gone and we're not going to have that relationship. So looking at the total opportunity of maybe we spend a little bit more to do a contactless payment out in the field um, and and a few people could you know take advantage of that and we begin to meet them and then over time the total value of that donor relationship more than takes care of the cost of buying that little hardware but it sounds like there might be different levels of setup when we get to contactless is is that correct or is it just as easy as any other square setup or any other paypal thing if we're looking to buy something that might tap into a phone um, contactless actually isn't any more complicated than chip cards, really. It's it's usually, there's some hardware that is just MagStripe and chip, but there's plenty of other hardware options that combine the chip card and the contactless element because it's, it's easy to build them together. The payment infrastructure is very similar. Um, and so it's really just, you if you get a device that can support MagStripe, chip card, and contactless all in one, I mean, you're still looking anywhere between $45 and $50, but it may be up to $75 depending on the device. But it's it's really as simple as, you know, you tap your phone, like you plug in the amount that they want to donate, they tap their phone, finalize the transaction on their phone with the fingerprint scan or their passcode, whatever their particular payment app uses, and then they're on their merry way. Um, but it's it's not much more of an investment than getting a chip card. It's just making sure that you have a reader that can support contactless. 
So here's where I think a lot of charities are are weighing things right now. That we're we're not seeing a lot of that yet. But again, I don't think an awful lot of charities that are out in the field doing their event stuff. If you're running your 5K event and there's 32 people in line trying to register and they all want to get their T-shirts and you know get get ready to do whatever, um, how much time we take to uh, manage those processes is a question mark. How many people would be ready to pay by phone? right now, as we record this in early 2019, versus how many people are going to be doing contactless payments next year or the year after. And if I engage in getting that technology set up now, A, am I just setting myself up for the future? Or B, is that um, is it likely to be supplanted? Are we going to be completely moved past to, to some other type of contactless payment? I'm going to have to buy some other hardware in two years. Honestly, I don't think that's going to be the case. I mean, NFC, which is the, the technology, near-field communication, the technology that powers contactless payments is here to stay, or here to stay, sorry. Um, yep. it, it's, it's, not, it's not going to go away. There are some, I mean, there's other payments apps that use uh, QR codes to scan, but NFC is reliable. It's, it's established technology. And it's not that we're going to see some other version of contactless coming onto the market. We're actually, we're starting to see banks do what they've been doing in um, Europe and in Canada for years now and issuing debit cards and credit cards that have NFC chips built into them so that you can, for low volume purchase, you can just simply tap your card instead of having to swipe it or dip it, you can just tap it. Um, and we're starting to see the advent of that technology coming into the U.S. So it's going to be in a couple of years, most likely that a lot of debit cards and credit cards are going to have this feature in the next two years. So I, I thought this was maybe the case, and I really appreciate your expertise on this to check in against it, that if we make that early adopter investment now, if we're the charity that's out there um, you know, in the, in the community at the event um, that makes it the easiest way to possibly get going, right now we may not see as many people leaping up with their phones and just tapping to go or having a, 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 a contactless card where they can tap. But that's probably only going to increase. The number of those folks is probably only going to increase. And if we look at the adoption curve that we saw with web-based payments, where, again, a lot of people didn't feel real comfortable 15 years ago making a transaction on the web, now very few people, I think, question, as long as they can see that it's a secure site and, and it doesn't look like it was put together by a Russian bot somewhere, you know, that, that people will give online, not thinking to themselves, oh, I'm concerned about my privacy or that this is going to get hacked. Uh, so it, we were in this place before. I think we're maybe on this next echelon of it with mobile payment processing where people are saying, get in now, get comfortable, get people starting to think of you as the partner that makes it easy to do these things. And, and you're expecting we'll be seeing additional opportunities, more people getting used to paying this way. Oh, absolutely. I mean, apart from the convenience aspect, using contactless payments through like through, through a mobile app like Apple Pay actually offers a lot more security for the users themselves because even though Square and PayPal, they have built-in security measures, they have encryption um, and all of that, the, the contactless payment apps like Apple Pay add an extra layer in that they use what's called tokenization. So they actually never actually give the merchant or the nonprofit the user's credit card number. They give them a, a token, a code, a one-time use number, 
that the payment network recognizes as yes, this relates to this card and they accept that process. But even if that data is compromised, that, that token is only good for one-time use. So that card number is essentially useless. Um, so seeing mobile payments apps like that have that extra layer of security built in is actually, it, it's good for consumers. Um, and I'm sure that that will be a motivating factor for adoption in the next couple of years. Um, but then at the same time, like the tap to pay cards, the, the tap to pay function is generally only designed for low volume purchases or low value purchases. So under 50 or $25. And there's generally a certain amount of protection that's granted. Like if you use your card to tap to pay and it's a low volume and it's fraudulent, we're going to cover that. That's no big deal. Right. Which is, I think what happens with an awful lot of traditional credit card payments. Now I, the number of places I've been to recently where, um, you know, you do go ahead and do the chip and pin thing, but, um, it doesn't ask for the pin. It just, you know, it's like, no, nah, that's close enough. You know, you're only <laughs> buying a cup of coffee, just get out of the way. Cause the amount of time it would take you to sit here and wait through is not worth it for me to sell six more cups of coffee behind you. And most transactions go through. Most of them are totally fine. So the fact that there's a few out there that maybe are fraudulent or otherwise problematic, it's just not worth the volume to to do that. So these small dollar ones, they just seem to be more and more of them where the the speed of the transaction is more important than being dead set sure that one thousand out of every one thousand transactions didn't have a problem. And that's true, definitely for 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 small ticket values like that, the fraud isn't so much of a concern because if you're just if you stole a card and buy a cup of coffee, like that's that's not much of a risk. That everyone's going to get their money back. It's not going to be a big deal. I mean, that's not a big concern. It, the the concern is always the higher value t transactions and the and and the in, certain industries are more prone to donation or not to donations. Sorry, um, they're more prone to fraud, especially you know if you're an art gallery or something that's highly valuable, you're way more likely to be a target for fraud than if you're, I would say, a nonprofit or if you're a dry cleaner or something like that. Well, again, assuming most of these uh, mobile on-the-go quick transactions are probably not large dollar amounts. That the, the people, you know, tipping a, a grocery bagger ten bucks or something to um, make a, a small contribution to a neighborhood charity—that's easy. As opposed to, you know, well, I'm I'm really invested in what you're doing. I think I'm going to give something substantial. Maybe that's not going to happen so much with the mobile payment thing. Where it may come in, I think, is more um, processing of silent auction items at large scale galas or whatever. Maybe you bought your ticket already to get into the event, but now you're going to bid on that uh, uh, two week Caribbean vacation. And, you know, now, you know, you're still mobile. You're out at the ballroom in the hotel. You're not, you know, elsewhere. Somebody needs to be able to make sure that that process happens securely and safely. So uh, in those cases, there, there's going to be those extra layers of making sure that all of your I's are dotted and T's are crossed and certainly, you know, pins associated with chips. Yeah, and there's definitely, I mean, mobile, you can definitely use mobile processing apps like Square for those. You could also use, you know, invoices, which is something that, you know, most people think of, oh, I have to fill out this Word doc and print it off and send it. No, you can, honestly, there's several invoicing apps where you can generate an invoice and email it to someone directly. They open the link, they fill in their card information, and they pay it. And obviously that's, you know, it's a little bit, you know, more secure because you're sending it to a specific email and they're saying, yes, I want to pay this. And they enter the information um, as opposed to here, just swipe my card. 
And can those invoices be integrated with some of these other solutions, the Squares, the PayPal's of the world? Oh, absolutely. Um, both PayPal and Square can send an invoice from directly within the their point of sale mobile apps. Um, you can just say create an invoice and send it to someone right then and there. Um, and there's several other solutions that will integrate with, you know, Stripe or, you know, if you don't like all of the features that PayPal and Square offer, there's Zoho, there's, um, I think FreshBooks offers invoicing. There's plenty of other solutions that offer, you know, a, a secure invoicing that's convenient and it's digital and you don't have to wait for a check. Right. And I think the bigger point here for the charities involved is, you know, how do we get the least amount of friction at the at whatever moment so that when they're making the decision to give or in this case of a silent auction item where they're, they're sort of buying, as it were, yes. but they're making a decision to um, to be involved with this charity, the easier that can be at the time for the appropriate amount of money. Uh, I think that that idea of I'm going to bid on that two week Caribbean vacation thing, it's going to be multiple thousands of dollars. I I want to have that transaction happen as easily as possible, but maybe I don't want to throw all that on a you know credit card that I happen to have on me or whatever. Mm -hmm. So the ability to do this, is it as simple as if we start out with just an email address, we can ask you for then the rest of the information that we need from you later? Is it that Absolutely. quick? Absolutely. Um, with, with Square's invoice feature, it actually links to their customer database. So you can enter their name, their address, all of that, and then that will be on file for if they make future donations at an event or whatever, you can just search them by name and pull them up and then that transaction will be associated with their, you know, with their past history. Um, you can also, with, with Square invoices, there's some really cool features. For example, you can allow them to add a tip, you can request a down payment, you can allow them to pay in installments. Oh, nice. Yes, Square has actually built a lot of features into the invoicing platform lately so that there's a lot of ways to make this easier. Like I said, the installments feature is really, really, it's its fairly new. I think it's only a couple of months old, um, but it's definitely, you know, if you're paying for high volumes or high value stuff, you know, offering an installment plan might not be a bad idea, um, but you could, it, the fact that you can send an invoice right then and there and then fill out the information, have all of that record built into the Square database is is really cool. It, it's very, very convenient. Um, it's one of the reasons that I really like Square for not just nonprofits, but for a lot of businesses. Okay. So uh, I want to back up for a second about um, the tap to pay phone thing, and then I want to come back to um, moving past the contact list things into app-based uh, payments and what that might look like. But you mentioned um, Apple Pay specifically as a brand name that people may you know, they know, or you know what is now Google Pay has been through some other names in the past. But you know Samsung had their own version of that uh, naming structure too. Um, if people want to accept that kind of tap to pay thing, can they get all of them in one thing or do they need to have different technology to accept different platforms? All of the different contactless pay apps, so Apple Pay, uh, Google Pay slash Android Pay, Samsung Pay, I think there's Chase Pay now. Um, yeah. All of those, they all use NFC technology, so they all use the same contactless payment structure, so you only need a single contactless enable, enabled device to accept payments from all of them. 
think that's an important reminder that sometimes people will, will go in there and they'll see the more popular brand name on a thing going, hey, we accept Apple Pay. And you're sitting there with your Android phone and they go, well, it's not me. I'm like, well, actually, <laughs> if it accepts Apple Pay, you're going to be able to pay with your phone too. They just are putting the popular name that they heard about out there as an enticement, but it doesn't mean that you can't use a different method, as I understand it. Yes, that is correct. I mean, it's any sort of contactless payment app it uses the same sort of technological infrastructure. So it's all the same technology, which means all the readers will work with all the different brands. So all of these things are, are great advances and really good tools for charities. But I think there's a question out there about a lot of charitable decisions are sort of motivated by uh, peer communications. You know, I gave to this charity because I believe in it, or it's my birthday and I'm asking you to give to this charity or whatever. Some of that stuff is happening through uh, desktop things, Facebooks of the world that are trying to encourage people to do it. But I get questions and I'd love to hear your thoughts about um, what's designed to be peer-to-peer -peer, uh, payment systems that uh, the Venmos of the world where PayPal maybe originally started, although of course it's doing things very differently. Um, now seeing um, Zelle, I think is the, the other bank supported one, um, yes. where they're really designed to move money between individuals. But are there ways for for charities to think about how could we also make it easy to accept payments through those mechanisms or is that just too new or too challenging? Well, I mean, Square Square has a, an app called Cash and it's, it's the same peer-to-peer -peer payment sort of app, um, but they also support um, businesses, which includes nonprofits. And PayPal has a couple of tools that are very similar to Square Cash and, um, and then obviously there's Venmo, which is Venmo's a little trickier because it's it's such a different beast. Um, so let's start with Square Cash and PayPal. Obviously, both of them have it set up so that if you want to send money to, you know, like um, Wikipedia has a Square Cash page. If you want to send money to them through Square Cash, you can totally do that. Um, you just need to know their cash tag, which I believe is like the dollar sign Wikipedia or Wikimedia. Mm -hmm. um, and so you can send money directly in the app, but you can also use their Cash Me page, which is a website. And you just, you go to that website, you plug in your payment information and you, they send the money to them. Um, so so, so if, that, if that donor is using cash and, and they're excited about like, oh, I already have that set up on my phone, that's easy for me then great. Yeah. But presumably, it's sort of that we're ready to accept whatever mechanism works best for you. So we've got our contactless payment, we've got, you know, other ways of accepting this. But if you just happen to be a cash user, and that's exciting, then sure, here's a cash tag, go, go for it. But presuming that right now, early this year, we're not going to see a lot of um, individuals using that to make a payment to a business. It's It hasn't been that way so much that I know about anyway. Or are people really doing that a lot? I mean, Square Cash is actually, it's significantly big. I think the the user base is somewhere between 7 and 10 million. I can't remember off the top of my head, but... Um, okay, it's, it, but it's, a big number. Oh, yeah, it's, it's definitely a significant number. I mean, 10 million users is nothing to sneeze at. I mean, it's not PayPal's 200 and, or 220 million, but 10 million is a substantial number. Um, and it, I definitely think that Square hasn't done as well at marketing the, the potential for Square Cash to businesses. Mm -hmm. But um, PayPal has some of the similar tools. You can set up a PayPal.me 
uh, link. Same way you can do a cash.me page and then people just go to that web page and they enter their information um, and, and send the payment that way. And then, I mean, obviously PayPal makes it really easy to accept donations um, through a whole bunch of different means. I, I definitely think that Square has a whole bunch of tools, but PayPal has invested a lot in building a platform and linking with partners that make it really easy for nonprofits to accept payments. Um, well, and I want to ask about some of these other, um, you know, how, how Venmo differentiates in the PayPal universe from that. And, and also about things like Zelle as they try to usurp into this space that they already have <laughs> yes. players into it. Um, but the, the point you brought up about how many of us have PayPal accounts, um, you know, sort of synonymous with the universe of anybody that's ever used eBay, right? We, we just sort of picked up an account 20 years ago when eBay started. And sometimes we use them a lot and sometimes less often. I see a lot of PayPal transaction stuff with nonprofits actually being just a credit or debit card processor. It's not really going into the PayPal universe to get to an account balance that somebody has at PayPal or to connect to their bank. They're, they're swiping a card that uses the PayPal infrastructure. But I think a lot of us are hoping that we might be able to get away from paying fees for card stuff and if there's a way to move money differently uh, in some of these apps. So when when you talk about PayPal and, and what what Venmo is and how mobile payments happen outside of credit card processing. What does that universe look like different from Square or Square or Cash? I mean, that it, it's the reality is that if you're sending money to a business, that the, the company that's processing that payment is going to want to cut. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's the nature of the beast. Like if, if you're taking payments from customers or taking donations, your payment processor is going to want a cut, period. Um, so it's very, very hard to get around paying fees at all for credit card processing or debit card processing or what have you. Like it's very hard to get around and pay no fees for that. It's it's almost impossible, I would say. Um, with, for example, Venmo. If you want to accept Venmo payments, you're still going to pay PayPal standard online processing rate, which for most businesses is 2.9% plus 30 cents. If you are a nonprofit with PayPal, you're going to pay 2.2% plus 30 cents. Um, but you're, you're still going to pay the same amount as if you had just accepted a debit card or a credit card from someone who, and not just a Venmo wallet payment. Um, because with Venmo, the, the only ways to accept Venmo payments is to build it into your app. And the only ways to do that are to either integrate with PayPal. Um, so you have to use PayPal's checkout feature. Or you can use Braintree, which is owned by PayPal. Um, actually, it owns Venmo. It bought Venmo before PayPal bought Braintree. Um, <laughs> so the, PayPal kind of inherited several companies that way. But... Um, the only ways are to either use Braintree, which will still charge you the same amount, or to use PayPal. And, and again, you're still going to be paying the same amount as you would otherwise. Um, okay. That's, I appreciate the clarity. Do you expect that that may change in the future as things become more bank-to-bank -bank transactions? I mean, is Zelle going to be able to insert themselves into this world, or is, are they just not going to be able to find room to try and cut out anybody that has the visa name attached to them? Honestly, I don't know how I feel about Zelle or really what its place is going to be. Obviously, it's it's there, it's there as a competitor to Venmo and PayPal and and Square Cash. Um, 
because Square Cash and Venmo and PayPal, those are really popular like solutions for people who don't necessarily have bank accounts. They're, they're solutions for the unbanked. Mm -hmm. um, so they're a way for people to move money around. And Zelle, obviously, it's, it's a way of, I think, probably enticing some of those people who wouldn't normally get bank accounts to get bank accounts because they can just as easily move money around with Zelle as they could with PayPal or Venmo or anything like that. Um, and obviously, there's... Um, there's the element of it's it's instantaneous bank transfers, right. um, which is not something that we generally see yet. I mean, the technology obviously exists. Both PayPal and Square are using it to transfer balances from, you know, where PayPal and Square are holding them to the merchant's bank account, but they charge you a fee, which is, I think, about 1% per each transfer to get it right away. Mm -hmm. um, so it's... I mean, Zelle is interesting, and I think it's a little too early to say exactly what we're going to see happening with them. Um, but they're they're definitely going after PayPal and and similar peer to peer transfer apps. Um, but but as far as I know, there isn't really a, a business transaction component of them as a nonprofit business saying, "Great, I'd love to accept uh, uh, money from people that have, that use Zelle." Um, you know, there's no fee for those transfers peer to peer, so clearly there'll be no fee for the transfers to the business. Except there probably will be if it were even possible. As far as I can find so far, there isn't a way to do that, or is there? And it's just like too new and not really well known yet. I haven't seen anything about Zelle for businesses. Yeah. I, I think it's very likely that it's in Zelle's pipeline. But when that happens, we'll see the same way that Square Cash charges a fee, that PayPal charges a fee. If you want to use it for business, you're going to pay. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, I think, because Zelle, as I understand it, and then um, let me ask you if this is correct, you know, was created by banks who I think are feeling the pinch of the amount of transactions that go outside of their networks and they're paying some portion of their fee to, you know, Visa or whoever. Um, but they're they're seeing some transaction costs that they'd love to keep in-house. So I think they're creating this, you know, from the banks themselves, from the Wells Fargo's and U.S. banks or whoever else is in, in that network that, that created that. So there's an incentive for them to try and make it happen to have less money going outside of their systems. But I don't know that, I mean, other than the peer-based stuff, that that's going to work or maybe. I don't know. I mean, I, I genuinely cannot say. Um, <laughs> I think it's one of those things, Zelle is relatively new and it's such a different product compared to more established peer-to-peer -peer wallets that we're going to have to wait and see what features they roll out and see if they decide to add business acceptance um, before we can really say, you know, what direction are they going to stick around? How much are they going to charge? All of that. Yeah. You know, I have kind of lost track of time because I am so enjoying this conversation and I'm learning a lot, but we are just about done. So I need to um, ask you to kind of help us wrap up with how, how can people learn from all the great blog posts and other resources you've got? Where's the best way to keep in touch with you? Um, obviously, our website, merchantmaverick.com, but you can also catch us now on YouTube. Um, we are on Facebook um, at Merchant Maverick. We are on Twitter at Merchant Mav. Um, and our YouTube handle is just Merchant Maverick. Um, 
I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about this because I, I do think that we are at an earlier stage in terms of charitable adoption of some of these mobile processing pieces, but I, I think so reflective of where we were with just credit card processing on the web, you know, 15 or, or more years ago, that it's it's great to say, let's get out there now, learn about our options now, talk about this because I think we really want to be where our community is and, and that is shifting. So thanks for helping us keep track of it. Thank you for having me. I'm always happy to have, help other businesses and nonprofits as well. All right. So uh, Melissa Johnson is a uh, payment specialist with Merchant Maverick. Melissa, thanks again for your time. Thank you so much.